One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that generates biography using the songs that have touched our guests' lives to bring out the storyteller in us all. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Dr. Maria Rocca. She's chair of the Department of Integrated Studies at Florida Gulf Coast University. She got her Ph.D. in Media Ecology and her M.A. in Performing Arts Management, both from New York University. And she got a B.A. in Interpersonal and Public Communication from Purdue University. She's also a Green Faith Fellow and Assistant Director of the Center for Environmental and Sustainability education. As a founding faculty member of FGCU, Maria has been recognized for her work with the Professor of the Year Award. She's also a two-time recipient of FGCU's McTarnigan Award for Excellence in Teaching, the Faculty Award for Service Excellence, and most recently with the Chair Excellence Award. In 2015, she was presented with the Rachel Carson Award for Distinguished Service to the Field of Environmental and Sustainability Education. She's the mother of one daughter, Alyssa, who's a professional opera singer living in Dallas. So that's her bio-bio, but here's my my bio statement for her. Maria Rocca is in a way the main reason I am here today getting to make this show. I was an FGCU student several times, if you know what I mean, way back in the university's early days, and it was she who dragged me back in after being distracted by life twice, and she is who hooked me up with an internship at WGCU, which I approached like it was a real job and not just a six-week internship, and that's turned out pretty good, I'd say. So that being said, let's get to her song stories. Hi there, Maria. Hi, Mike. It's true. <laughs> He's got me crying already. <laughs> yeah, no, here's the tissues. There's a box yeah, there. Uh, no, I, I told Richard I had to read that last bit a couple times myself to get the lump out of my throat because it's true. I've told that to people over the years. I mean, I was bad at college, and you helped me make it, and really at the end helped me make it, and here we are. Um, what's it like for you to walk around on campus these days with it being all college-y? And, you know, because back then it was like three buildings and a couple trailers and <laughs> That was about it. When I first came here uh, to interview, we actually couldn't walk on campus unless we had a hard hat on uh, because <laughs> it was still being constructed. But it's exciting. It's exciting. Every new opportunity, every time we get to um, try and you know, develop a new program, it's all very exciting. Hmm. And I still love the kids as much as I did 22 years ago. How much time do you spend in the classroom these days? Well, I'm actually teaching a full-time load, even though I'm not supposed to. Oh, okay. <laughs> I taught nine credits this semester. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, okay, here we go with the three songs train. Uh, what was the musical background of your childhood? Mm-hmm. I come from a really interesting family in terms of music. Um, my older brother was studying music. My other, younger brother has a degree in music education from NYU. So I was the one in the middle that wasn't particularly good as a musician but loved music. I actually have a master's in performing arts management, so I worked in the arts for a very long time and actually worked with chamber ensembles and um, a variety of different types of musical organizations. And I managed a dance company, so music was central to us. We were hiring composers all the time. You know, I took piano, I took accordion, I took guitar. Accordion. I failed failed at all of them, (laughs) yes. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a very big person, so if you can imagine a little little eight-year-old with an accordion on Yeah, it was bigger than you were. It was bigger than I was. So you you were the middle kid, you said? I'm a middle child. So, So, like, for me, I was the middle kid, and my sister was the artsy one, and my brother was the nerdy one, so I became the art, uh, the, the sports one. Uh-huh. But in retrospect, I wasn't really the sports one. I was pretty good at it, but I was the art one too. Yeah. Were you just really not good at music, or were you just sort of bookended, so you de- um, decided to go another way? I, I really wasn't um, 
very good at the technical performance side. Ironically, I was really good at the theory side. So my music teachers would give me these theory homework exercises, and I would like crank those out like crazy, and I could transpose songs. I could do all of those things. I just couldn't play them. Gotcha. Um, and partly in my piano experience, when I was I started piano in second grade, and my hands were tiny, yeah. so I didn't have a full octave. You can get of, across like no. six keys, maybe. I, exactly. <laughs> and and I and I had a nun for a piano teacher, oh. and she was really strict, and she scared yeah. the daylights out of me. So I think small that, hands and strict nuns. And strict nuns, not a good, not a good pairing. <laughs> what was being played around the house, and what was um, being played on? So, um, you know, I was growing up in the 60s, so my older brother was always the one that was bringing the new music into the house. And, uh, you know, so he was bringing in Beatles and um, Rolling Stones. And, um, you know, I probably the, the first band that I was silly fangirl for was the Monkees, which ah. is a little embarrassing to admit, no, but I still can we probably— we embrace the Monkees on this show. Okay, good, because I can probably <laughs> sing every one of their songs, which is embarrassing too, but I still can. You know, start singing Daydream too, Believer yeah. and I'll start singing along with Cheers, you. Yeah, what about your parents? Were they influencing you guys? Um, they were very supportive. They were paying for all the lessons for all of us. And, um, you know, every cockamamie idea, I come in and say, I want to go study accordion. And they said, okay. And um, they allowed it until they realized that I was way too little to hold an accordion on my lap. And I tried guitar and my fingers were bloody and that didn't work. Did they play well. music no. for you? No. No, but my mother was always a lover of music, a huge lover of music. And, you know, I'd come home from school and she'd be humming something. You know, she didn't play, you know, this was pre all the technology that we have for music. Sure, if you yeah. were going to play music. Like, like the AM radio it was a, a, and, yeah. or a turntable. Uh, yes, exactly. And so my mom wasn't really really savvy at that. My mom was a seamstress, so hmm. she was always sewing, but she was always humming while she was sewing. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> earliest musical memory that flashes into your mind if you try to dig back as far as you can? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, really powerful was watching the Beatles the very first time on the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, wow. Yeah. You saw that. I did. That Those photons hit your eyes. Oh, and yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was very little. I was sitting at my mom's feet, and I remember crying, hmm. hearing them. There was something about them that from the time I was little, it just touched my heart in, in a way that nothing had up to that point in time. Yeah. My next question was going to be, can you remember a time when mu music moved you when you were young? But that's yeah. got to be a twofer on that then. Yeah. Huh? Well, and, you know, you kind of follow that up with going to see movies like Hard Day's Night mm -hmm. and Help and maybe being a little girl on the balcony screaming, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was my Beatles. <laughs> did, you, did you ever get to see the Beatles play? No, mm. never saw them live. No. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm. Um, um, what was the first music that you owned yourself? It probably was a Monkees album. Okay. Yeah, it was probably their first album, if I hmm. think back on it. And then you, uh, the TV show and all that? Oh, I, I, yeah. yeah. I yep. can probably do imitations of half of the silly skits that they did on there. Yeah. My, uh, my monkey story is, you know, we were kids when the big uh, MTV revival happened when they were playing them on loop on MTV. And my sister fell in love with Davy Jones. And then they came to the Charlotte County Fair – Herman's Hermits opened oh. for them, and Gary Puckett in the Union Gary Gap, the Union. and that was my first concert. Was the Monkees at the Charlotte County Fair okay, I'm on on reunion tour? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so you never played an instrument. Are you a singer? Um, in the shower. At church. Um, I in a actually, crowd. <laughs> in a crowd. Um, I actually did sing in high school. I was in our uh, what we called then a glee club, and I loved it, but I just never pursued it. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's get to your first song. Okay. So um, this song has a long history um, that starts in 1968 when the White Album first came out and the song I Will 
I was on it. And from the very first time I heard it, I vowed that that was going to be the lullaby I would sing to my child if I ever got to be a mother. And in some ways, when I was thinking about doing this program, I realized that um, I'd like to dedicate it to my daughter because I, you know, some people, I mean, here I am, you know, college professor, department chair, la, 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 all those big things. The only thing I ever wanted that I knew from the time I was very little was to be a mom. And in high school, I actually dreamed my daughter. Hmm. And she looks exactly like the girl was in the dream that I had when I was in high school. So, I, you know, I got involved with my career. I, I didn't have children. And I finally you know, found a man I wanted to have a child with and, um, and then was diagnosed with endometriosis and told I probably could never have children. And, you know, in the meantime, every time I heard the song, I will, it was, ah, uh, I'm never going to be able to get to sing this as a lullaby to my child. And then finally, um, I had a really good doctor who said, no, I think we can do something about this. I did this lengthy treatment to try to heal my body to a point where I could get pregnant and um, then got pregnant and miscarried. And again, thought, oh, no, you know, maybe I really can't have children. But then a couple of months later, I got pregnant with my daughter. And from the minute I knew I was pregnant with her, this I would sing it to my belly <laughs> to her. And, um, and then up until the time that she said, please stop singing me lullabies, Mom, um, I sang her I Will every night um, before she went to bed. So you do sing. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the power of the kid to bring out the artist in you, though, That's isn't the there? That's the truth. That's the truth. All right, well, let's listen to it together. This is I Will by the Beatles from their 1968 double album, The Beatles, also known as The White Album. When was the last time you listened to it? Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> I mean, more Beatles. <laughs> um, do you listen to it often? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just bought the remastered White yeah, Album, yeah, so yeah. I've been listening to it a lot. Um, uh, your daughter's a singer. Yeah, she Did is. she ever get into the Beatles and like sing that or sing that with you or sing no. that back at you or anything like that? I mean, she's very, very um, knowledgeable about the Beatles. And my daughter, uh, when she first got interested in music, was really interested in 50s and 60s music and um, had, you know, had this crazy collection of CDs of her own. Um, but she's never sung a Beatles song. Huh. Not that I can think of on any of her concerts. Mm. Um, where does music fit into your life, generally speaking, these days? Do you listen to it in the office while you're working on academic stuff? No, I don't. Um, music, um, when I'm listening to music, I'm very present to the music. So if I'm listening to music, I'm listening to music. Um, these days, I mean, jazz has become my huge um, passion. I love, you know, people like Dave Koz and, I mean, you know, the saxophone my instrument, which is kind of ironic because my daughter's an opera singer and I'm a giant jazz fan. But um, but for me, it's really uh, when I want to disconnect and, and connect with something within myself. It moves my heart in a way that um, doesn't let me work while it's on. <laughs> in the, I know there are people who can work with music in the background, but I can't do that. How do you listen to it in terms of um, streaming, C- no. CDs? old-fashioned. I've got CDs yeah. still and CD players all over my house. And yeah, so I, yeah, I'm still listening on CDs every now and then. There are certain types of grading that I do that I can put Pandora on and I'll, I'll put on um, a cool, you know, like a smooth jazz or meditation music or something like that in the background. Yeah. Mm. So you're listening to albums then in their entirety for the most part. You're not yeah. piecemealing it. Nope. Mm. Yeah, you are kind of an outlier there. I'm old fashioned. <laughs> um, have you ever been downtown Fort Myers on Thursday night for the jazz they do there in the uh, barrel room? No, I haven't. You should haven't. check it out. It's, there's, a, there's a couple of world-class jazz musicians that play there just every Thursday. Oh, exactly. yeah, I'll have to do that. The one guy's the, uh, his name is Dan Miller. He was a trumpet player with um, Harry Connick Jr. for many years, and he was in the Saturday Night Live band for many years. Oh, wow. And he just gets up there and plays trumpet. 
Oh, cool. For free. I will have to do that. <laughs> I will definitely have to do that. Um, okay. Uh, so when was the last time you bought music? I would say, usually I say that has a physical form because that catches people, but you probably, the last time you bought music, it was physically formed. It was, Yeah, I always buy CDs. I, I just have this weird thing that someday all of the files on the cloud are going to go away and I'll still have the CDs, Nana, to everybody else. You know, <laughs> They'll have to come find me so they can hear them again. If all the files of the clouds go away, having CDs will probably be the last of your concern. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> um, I think probably, I think the last CD I probably bought would, may have been the last Coldplay album. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a huge Coldplay fan. Yeah. Uh, we just had the guy who does the symphony mashup thing. Mm. The Southwest Florida Symphony. Last year they did Radiohead and Brahms. This year they're doing Coldplay and Beethoven. And Mm. it's like this weekend, I think. I'll be grading. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Karaoke. Nope. Never? Oh, at home with my daughter on occasion. Okay. But when you try to do it with my daughter and she gets perfect scores, you just sort of walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does she do karaoke out in the wild, do you know? Um, she has, yeah. And the same thing happens. Everybody else just gives up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, dancer. You dancer? Um, so I actually, there was a point in my life where that's what I wanted to do. Oh, really? And I took a lot of dance classes when I was younger. Um you didn't even have, need to have big hands for dance. No, I didn't, and I loved movement. And dance has played a huge role in my life. Um, when I finished my master's in performing arts management from NYU, I, I worked in theater for a while, but then I actually for three years ran a modern dance company as the administrative director. Oh, okay. And um, though, so I wasn't dancing, but I was with dancers all the time. And actually right now I'm working with one of our students here on um, possibly creating a contemplative dance program to work with PTSD, to work with anxiety, to mm. work with depression. And if all goes well, we'd like to develop that into a program that we take to college campuses all over the country. When you were doing the arts administration mm-hmm. stuff, just flesh that out a little bit further. <laughs> so I, I, at NYU, I, I, when I was doing my bachelor's degree, I actually um, – my minor is in theater from college. But I was always in the back of the theater and I was the house manager for the theater at Purdue. And uh, my directing teacher in college said – you need to go off and be an arts manager. And I actually went out to the University of Utah for a while and started the master's program there. Um, didn't really like living in Salt Lake and came home. And then they um, got to be friendly with the head of the NYU program. And he said, hey, I have a fellowship. Why don't you come and be my assistant? And it'll cover all your costs to do your master's at NYU. I was like, uh, yeah, uh, you don't turn down a full fellowship to NYU. And um Part of that was internships, so I interned at a Brooklyn College for their Performing Arts Center, and then I interned, interned with the Claude Kipnis Mime Theater, which was really awesome. That was such a cool experience. And you were an admin or a mime or both? Oh, I was not a mime. <laughs> <laughs> I did mime things periodically going, <laughs> you can't see that on the radio. <laughs> um, but then uh, right out of college, I was hired by John Hausman's The Acting Company, and I actually was the director of development for um, The Acting Company for a year I got to work with Kevin Klein and Patti LuPone. Um, Edgar Lansbury, who is Angela Lansbury's brother, was on our board. So I actually mm. got to meet Angela Lansbury. I mean, I worked with some really big name people. I mean, they probably wouldn't remember me now. But at that time, I, I worked very closely with them. And then um, after a year, I met this choreographer, a fellow named Matthew Diamond. And he wanted to start a company. And I really loved this idea. So off we went as two crazy young people raising money. And we had a dance company in New York City for three years. And mm. um, 
yeah, it was a great experience. And he has gone off to win several Academy Awards. He's actually now directing some of the Metropolitan Opera simulcasts. And he won a whole bunch of daytime Emmys for directing Guiding Light. And then he directed Golden Girls for several years wow. and won Emmys. Thank you for, for being a yeah, friend. Yeah, he was a friend and he's still a friend. <laughs> and we still talk periodically. But yeah, so um, dance played a big part in my life. Yeah. Uh, do you remember your first slow dance? Like in school was, or yeah, probably, school dance? I don't remember the first one, but I remember going to high school dances and, you know, kind of hanging on a guy's neck and, you know, thinking maybe this one. And, yeah, and they never were. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what brought you to F- Florida or Fort Myers? Was it, Florida was it FGCU? University. So you, yeah. you got hired, came down and launched a university. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really – well, I shouldn't say this one maybe now because it's probably going to be in my commencement speech next week. But I, I got uh, – it was a really cold February, and a friend of mine came in and said, hey, they're opening a new f- university in Florida. When would we ever get a chance to do this? Let's both apply. I was about to be tenured. I was like, I'm not leaving. This is great. And, and my husband was still alive at the time, and he was like, please, <laughs> Florida, it's really cold up here and really snowy. And I said, okay, sure. Well, let's all apply. What the heck? And then I completely forgot about it, and months went by, and then I got a call from Jim Wolpart, and he said huh. – um, hey, you may have forgotten, but you applied for this job in Florida. Are you still interested? And I said, yes. And so he uh, phone interviewed me and within a few hours of the phone interview called me and said, we'd like to fly you down. And I only thought then was, it's been really cold up here in upstate New York. I'll take a free trip to Florida. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Never thinking I would even be interested really in the job. And then, you know, 22 years later, I'm still here. What was it? Is there, if there's one thing that caught your attention down here, do you remember what it was? Jack Crocker. He was the founding dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. And my interview with him, um, he asked me, how are you with technology? And I just leaned forward and said, I'm a wizard with a piece of chalk. And he just laughed. And I, and that opened this conversation. I said, listen, technology is just a tool. If you're not a great teacher first, no technology is going to change that. No technology will make you a great teacher. And so that changed it from an interview to a conversation. And it was one of the best hours I had spent talking to another person in higher ed in a long time. And I walked out thinking, I want to work with this guy. Hmm. He's got ideas. He's got a vision. And um, yeah, so that was it. I can tell you it was that hour that I spent with Jack Crocker. Was there culture shock? I mean, uh, (laughs) Fort Myers in the late 90s was not uh, anything like New York. Enormous culture shock. First of all, it was flat. And yeah, I had been really living, flat, really flat. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been living in the mountains, so it was so beautiful and um, up there. And I thought, I can't live here; it's really flat. Uh, and then it was really conservative, you know. And I'm a Italian Catholic kid from New York City, you know, coming down to Southwest Florida. It was a big culture shock. But the university provided a home and a community that made sense to me. Have you come across any music over the years that stuck with you because of interactions with students? Um. <laughs> it's a really funny one, uh, only because of what my students did with it. Um, it was a connections class, and they did a presentation, and they took We Will Rock You mm-hmm. and turned it into We Will rock You, <laughs> <laughs> which was very funny. Um, Is there a tape of that? That I don't, would be delightful. There, there may be somewhere. <laughs> um, and then the, probably the other music that connects me to students here, I was the faculty advisor for our Newman Club for many, many years when we first opened. So we did masses here on campus, and we created um, our own music ministry, and actually – 
uh, the, one of the first music ministers was Miles Mancini, who's on our faculty now. Mm-hmm. I was a student with him in your class. That is correct. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And so I ha- definitely have memories of very specific songs that we did with church that um, anytime I hear them, I get one of those again, I can't not cry because I can still hear Miles doing Shepherd Me, O God, or um, Father Rick and Miles um, singing on Eagle's Wings, you know, which is another one that please don't play that or I will not make it through the rest of this conversation. <laughs> Father Rick is who you co-taught the Seven Deadly That's Sins correct. class with, which was my first class uh, at Florida Gulf Coast University. Yeah. 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 I miss him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Time for song number two. Okay. So, so again, very deeply personal story here. So um, my husband was a wonderful man when he was sober, but he was a raging alcoholic and could be quite violent. And um, and he passed away in 2002 and had a, you know, obviously my daughter and I both had a lot of things to work through after he passed away. And in 2010, she and I uh, made a trip to New York. And, you know, at this point she was already singing and we were both crazy theater lovers. And we got to see the Broadway show Next to Normal. And by intermission, neither one of us, we couldn't go outside for intermission because we couldn't stop crying because both of us had found a song that told our story. And so one of her songs, and she, she does sing this now, was uh, a song called Mozart Was Crazy. And um, I don't think I can do the lyrics uh, uh, officially because there are quite a few expletives in it about just how crazy he was. But his music wasn't crazy. It was nimble. you know. And, and she, I mean, she heard that song and she said, that explains what music does for me. But in this show... Um, it's a role reversal because it's the husband that played the role that was kind of my role in the marriage where uh, he was sticking it out with a very troubled wife. And so um, this song, um, I Am The One, was the one that I can't, I mean, I can't listen to it without being completely reduced to tears because it told my story. And as she and I walked out of there, we both saw this was one of those cases where the arts can help you make sense of your life. I can't even listen to you talk about it without getting choked up, so let's do this. Um, This is I Am The One from the soundtrack of the 2008 rock musical Next to What's going through your head with that? So um, anybody out there who has been in a relationship with an addict will understand. You know, you keep thinking if I'm just loyal enough, if I'm there when nobody else is, that they'll want to get well. And then you learn that it's not up to us. It's up to them. And, you know, we spent a lot of years in and out of recovery and getting hopeful. And then it would snow or it would rain. And I'd come home and he'd be drunk. And like, what happened? It snowed. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks. And it would be my fault, of course, because we were living someplace where it was cold and it could snow. You know, so it's this just incredibly unhealthy dynamic. Um, but, you know, watching this show after all those years, I mean, my, by the time we saw the show, my husband had been dead for eight years already, and I had really still been working through what I had been through for 18 years with this man and my daughter, too. I mean, you know, in some ways, she was blessed because he died when she was 10, so she didn't have as many years to deal with it. But, um, but we both walked away understanding a lot more about who we were thanks to a Broadway show. So I am grateful forever to the composers of that show and, and to producing it because it was no question the most powerful thing I've ever seen on a stage. 
Have you seen it since? I only saw that one time. I mean, I've listened to the CD about 4,000 times. But, um, okay, so you do. I wasn't sure if it was something you avoided or you no. embraced. No, no, I, I listen to it a lot. Oh. Yeah, I listen to it a lot. It's all an ongoing part of the healing that never stops. Isn't that amazing mm-hmm. how music works? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a guy on the show named Bill Metz who is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a local singer-songwriter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he mm-hmm. does Hope by Song. Oh, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's all about like, mm-hmm. you know, turning hard stories into songs and then playing those songs to people who need to hear songs about hard stories, yeah. I guess would be a way to put it. Oh. Any TV theme songs committed to memory? And if so, will you sing one with us? <laughs> um, hmm. none, none jump into my head. I mean, probably, but um, yeah, well, you, know, you caught me off guard on that one. Um, That's what we're here for. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what was I watching? Maybe Golden day? Girls. Yeah, yeah Golden Girls. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, I don't think I could do Golden Girls. Um, do you watch much TV? You don't um, strike me as probably a very big actually, TV Actually, I do. Oh, yeah. I have a couple of serious guilty pleasures. Yeah, I'm a Dancing with the Stars fanatic. Okay. I, absolutely. I haven't missed I'm a I'm familiar season. with yeah. it. <laughs> um, and then, I, you know, I really, really like a show that's on these days. I, I really like New Amsterdam. I really like The Good Doctor. And I've been watching God Friended Me, which is hmm. a fascinating concept. So I have a weird collection. I'm a project runway fans so I actually have a fairly large collection of shows that I really enjoy. Sounds like a lot of it's like sort of the reality based stuff though or the, um, not reality no, based but you know like dancing so I guess well I didn't recognize the other one. No the others are dramas. Okay. <laughs> the others are pretty mainstream dramas. Yeah. Um, I usually ask do you have a favorite musical? Would next it be, to normal. Would it be next, next normal? to normal? Is there a next yes. favorite? Oh absolutely. Yeah yeah Man of La Mancha. Oh okay. Yeah real oldie but goodie. Yeah yeah um, that was a, you know the Aldonza character if I was ever going to do a show, that was my dream, was to play Aldonza on stage. You know, I just thought that would be so much fun. Have you ever considered doing any acting on stage? I've considered These it. days? I mean, there's I a lot do. of, like, know. you know, Sharon. I do. Sharon uh, Asern. Yeah, 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 she's yeah. acting and, you know, and Jim Brock and they, a lot of buddies are, are up on yeah, stage. it right? might be fun. Maybe. Maybe. She's coming in and doing this soon, by the way. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, uh, uh, but what about movie musicals? Like, you know, Oliver or something, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I you know, I loved the music, the movie musical version of Camelot. That was one that I liked a lot. Oh, yeah. I guess, you know, I'd have to put in my top five favorite musicals is the also the movie version of Rent. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, the 300 and whatever is it, how many thousand minutes. Seven, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a song that I love as well. Hmm. Yeah. Um, are there any modern mainstream bands that are popular that you're a big fan of? Coldplay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Coldplay. Um, you know, beyond there, um, again, it's some of the, the jazz folks like Dave Cos I like very, very much. And I mean, a lot of the play, the people that I loved are, aren't performing as much anymore, but I used to be a Chuck Mangione fan and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. His his rendition of Spain is really high on my list of favorite pieces of music. It's a beauty. Yeah. Have you seen much live music over your lifetime? Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I got to go to concerts a lot. But if you ask me to name them now, I have like my memories from those years are not so great. <laughs> Do you have any one that just pops to mind as being one that you were like, wow, I can't believe I got to see them? Or Beach I got Boys. The Beach Boys. Yeah, I got to see the Beach Boys. That was really fun. Wow. That was really About when would that have been in their oh, arc? A long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago, probably at least 35 years ago. I mean, really long time. They were still fairly young. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever, so was I. <laughs> did, did you ever travel anywhere to see a show? Not 
in any great length, no, except for to go see my daughter. Yeah, I always travel to go see her. Um, you know, uh, you know, you've talked about your daughter a lot. She's a musician and or a, a singer. Did you experience um, like other than next to normal? Did you guys go see shows together and stuff like that? A oh lot? yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we and I both have this really profound other memory. So my daughter's idol was a singer named Barbara Cook. And um, Barbara Cook had turned 80 and they uh, had done a big 80th birthday celebration for her. And then she decided to do another show. And it was a tribute to Sondheim. And um, we got tickets and we got to see her live on stage. And then we went and waited for her to come out. And my daughter got to meet her. And um, one of those moments where you start to stand back as a mom and you watch as your kid's like crying and saying, you're my idol if I could ever, you know, be like you. And uh, and she just, you know, really embraced my daughter and said, just keep working, you know. Yeah, you can do it. So, yeah, that was pretty special. You know, I mentioned earlier about, you know, art making it easy to do stuff, you know, kids making it easy to sing or whatever. <laughs> it's an interesting thing for me because my daughter's super into theater and I was always kind of snarky about theater, especially if there was dancing or singing, you know. But now it's like I love it because yeah. I get to see it through her eyes. Yeah. And it's just like magic. It is magic. Yeah. Uh, time for song three. Okay. This is going to be the hardest one to talk about. So um, it takes us back to 2015, so just a few years ago. And um, my mom had been living with me for many, many years, and, and my daughter would very often talk about my mother as her second parent. Um, you know, after my husband died, my mom lived with us almost the whole rest of the time. And um, for the last four years of my mother's life, she lived exclusively with me. For a while, she'd go back and forth to New York and finally got to a point where she couldn't travel anymore. And then in February 2015, I, I just had this weird feeling that I should go home at lunchtime and found that my mother really could hardly breathe and called 911 and we got her to the hospital and she never came back home again after that. And so um, I had this amazing two weeks with my mom, just an amazing two weeks. I It's truly a great gift, you know, because she and I had a really kind of classic mother-daughter days. I loved her days. I wanted to throw her out the window and um, I'm sure she felt that way about me <laughs> as well. But, you know, having had been her caregiver for so long and knowing what she had done for my daughter was really uh, – extremely important to me. And a couple of days um, before she went into hospice, we were talking and she would do these things where she'd start talking to God in front of me. And she started saying, you know, God, if it's my time, okay, I guess I can accept that because you gave me an opera singer for a granddaughter and I couldn't have asked for anything more. And so um, my daughter Managed to get to hospice in time uh, before my mom passed away. My mom at that point was already pretty much in a in a coma. Um, you know, she had not been terribly communicative, and uh, so my daughter got there, and I said, "Sing to her." And my daughter crawled in the bed with my mom, and she sang "O mio bambino" to her, and my mother mouthed the words to the entire song as my daughter sang to her. And that was the last conscious thing my mother did before she passed away. And so the third song is Omi O Babino, and it's my daughter singing it.
Man. Yeah. That's got it all. Yeah. That's my baby. <laughs> um, how did she wind up in the world of opera? I mean, I know she pursued – she went to Cypress, right? She went to Cypress Lake. She actually started at um, St. Carlos Park Elementary and started performing in third grade. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she and I have a disagreement about which time she first auditioned using – everything's coming up roses, you know, the old Ethel Merman song. And so, you know, you know my daughter. She's this tiny, tiny little petite thing. You know, she doesn't look like the classic soprano. She, She's like, you know, my pinky, you know, can blow her over. And at eight years old, she was really tiny. And she gets up and starts singing, I mean, belting. Um, everything's coming up roses. And I remember watching everybody in the room just have their jaws drop and say, what just happened? That that came out of that little bit of a thing. How did that happen? And so she's been singing ever since. She has never thought that there was anything else she wanted to do other than be a singer. She's known it since the time she was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick aside, you have to listen to my sister's episode. Oh, yeah. Just because of what we just heard. Um, uh how did she wind up at um, – so she went to San Carlos Elementary. Yep. And then she went to Benita where Benita Springs Middle. <clears throat> and then she auditioned for Cypress Center for yes. the Arts? Uh, yep. And was she a voice? Yes. She was a voice uh, student there. Yes, the whole time she was there. But And um, before she even got to Cypress, she started singing with the Southwest Florida Symphony Chorus, the children's chorus. Uh-huh. And um, she got involved with Opera Naples. Um, pretty early on and for five summers she did the lead in Opera Naples summer productions so she's done every Gilbert and Sullivan under the sun she's been Mabel she's been Josephine yeah she's she's done pretty much um, all the major she's done um, Yum Yum in in, uh, the Mikado she's she's done them all (laughs) Hmm. so yeah you know my daughter I went to Tanglewood and you know first time she got up on stage was third grade I think and she sang uh, Castle on a Cloud oh and now she you know she just got into Cyprus for voice and theater. Oh, so. she'll be studying with Gary Stroh. Yeah, Yay. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She uh, she auditioned. It was the first time she's had to audition for a few things, and it was the first time where it was like, "You got to do this right mm-hmm. because this is the next four years of your life." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a great but, program. Yeah, no, she did it though. Um, awesome. uh, um, okay, so then where'd she go to college? University of Miami. Oh, okay. She went to the Frost for some reason. I thought she went north, but no. So she mm-hmm. went to University. You of went Miami. to UM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we followed the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. They, they, uh, they gave under, her a full ride. So, uh, understood. Yeah. And then yeah. so where she's uh, in and Dallas. And then she did her master's, oh, masters and her performance diploma at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and um, then worked for the Dallas Opera for three years in their outreach program, and that she just finished that up last year, and now she's uh, finally finished school altogether and is doing a lot of freelancing. The recording you just heard <clears throat> was actually a, a fundraiser she did with the Bruce Wood Dance. Company company in Dallas and her accompanist was was Joseph Falcon who as I said Barbara Streisand's accompanist as well and so she's working yeah she's working is she uh, does she have a, a target that's next somewhere or is she just kind of like doing it making making um, art making singing and seeing where it goes yeah she's going to keep auditioning for another few years for the young artist programs but she um, does have a main stage um, gig next March in Virginia and she picks up auditions. She's a hustler. She's always auditioning and working. And in fact, she's doing a concert tour uh, this next month. And um, and she'll be here. She'll be performing on May 16th here in the Fort Myers area over at Cypress Cove. And anybody can come. We'll uh, have to come see that. Please do. Me and Gwen will have to come see yes, that. Yes, please do. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, uh, um, so you said you and your mom. By, by the way, what's your mom's name? Rena. I just want to say hi to Rena. Yeah. Um, uh, you said you had a typical mother-daughter relationship. Sometimes she wanted to throw you out the window, vice versa. How about you and Alyssa? Um, you ever want to throw out the window? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we have, a, I think, 
think, and I hope she'd agree, we have a rather extraordinary mother-daughter relationship. Um, you know, it was just the two of us for so many years since she was only 10 when her dad died. Um, but I, I hope that what she would say is that I was always the mom who said, you want to sing? Go for it, girl. You know, I mean, so many other parents will discourage their children from pursuing the arts. But I've been around artists for so much of my life. I know if it's in you, you've got to. And I also um, come out of the humanities myself. And I am such a strong believer that if we're going to affect any change in this world, it's going to come from the people in the humanities because we have to change people's minds and hearts. That's the only way behavior changes. And so my involvement with Green Faith International, with eco-spirituality and with all of those things, I, I recognize that it's the stories, it's the music, it's the art that makes people stop and think differently. Um, we get all these facts and, yeah, we go, yeah, that's bad, right? But what changes people is really the arts and we need to not forget about that. Um, is there a fourth song that you had to cut from the three-song list? Or there these, wasn't. Were these, just, uh, these just immediately illuminated in your brain? They did. They did. You know, when, <clears throat> I, when I read what you were looking for, these were, there was no question. You know, I, I struggled um, with one of them a little bit thinking, is there a different one? And then I thought, no, there's really not. These are the ones. Was, the, was that the Beatles song? No. No? No, it was the one from Next to Normal because oh. I, I wasn't sure. I, don't, I think more than anything I wasn't sure if I wanted to share that part of my life. Right. Right. That's the interesting thing that we've found after 60-some episodes is, is the biography through music, quote-unquote, not only comes from the stories people tell, but the stories they decide to tell mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. far they want to open up mm -hmm. and things like that. That right. says a lot about a person. So thank you for opening up. Um, um, do you have a favorite band? Coldplay? Um, Coldplay for now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you ask me throughout my life, mm -hmm. it's the Beatles. You okay. know, it's, of course, it's the Beatles, always the Beatles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was digging up music uh, for the show, and uh, we, I found the I Will, the, the, the studio version. But mm -hmm. then I also found, like, the first ever take of it. Oh, Have you wow. heard that? No. It's in the folder. You want to hear a little bit of it? Sure. Richard, pull it up. It's an MP3 in the folder. While he's doing that, um, can you recommend any bands that you like that you think most of our listeners would not know about that you'd like to recommend? Mm, Nako. Um, who's a very – it's N-A-H-K-O. Um, uh, he's really cool. Um, he's really kind of contemporary and takes on sustainability as well as world peace. Um, yeah, so that might be one that people might not How know. How do you spell that? I think it's N-A-H-K-O. Okay. Which folder is it supposed to be in? Uh, oh, you know, it might still only be – On your locally. desktop? Yeah. No, is, is, sure it's not in there? <laughs> in her folder? Yeah. Is there an MP3 in her folder? There's an I will take one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Who knows how long I've loved you, yeah Who knows I love you still Will I wait a lonely lifetime If you want me to, I will I'll, e I'll email that to you. <laughs> There's a sweetness to that. That's so lovely. Yeah. And a yeah. simplicity to it. Yeah. Um, are there – well, you kind of answered this sort of. It's all of them. But are there any albums that you have to listen to all the way through if you get started because you just want to take it the whole way? You, usually the musicals. You know, if I'm going to listen to Rent, I'm listening to Rent from beginning to end. If I'm going to listen to Next to Normal, I'll listen to it from beginning to end. I don't feel the same way about – um, a Beatles album. You know, if I can listen to three or four songs and be like, okay, I can take off now, it's, it's okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, is there a best album of all time, in your opinion? Mm. 
Um, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was Rubber Soul. Okay. Yeah. Um, if there, if you can only have one album to listen to repeatedly, what would it be? The soundtrack to Next to Normal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think your fourteen-year-old self would think of who you are today? She'd probably say, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, at that point, um, yeah, I was a pretty lost kid at fourteen years old. I, you know, I was searching. For, I think we all are. You know, fourteen's a really tough age, and. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I had been living in the shadow of a very smart older brother, and um, at least until I got to high school, I had all the same teachers he had. And as soon as I'd show up in class, I'd hear, "Oh, if you're as good as your brother Joey, it'll be so nice to have you in class." Yeah, and yeah, I saw you cringe when I said that. Yeah, um, yeah, you know. So the kinds of things that teachers sometimes do and don't realize that here it is, forty plus years later, and I still remember people saying that to me. And so you know, at fourteen, I was starting to find my own way in high school and. Wasn't in his shadow anymore and trying to figure it out. Yeah. What was the pivot to figuring it out? Do you remember if there was a pivot in your life later? Yeah. Um, first time I taught a class. Oh, okay. Yeah, first time I taught a college class. I was so young. Oh, my God, I was so young. Were you like a, a young. grad student I was at a that grad time? student, and I was a public speaking class. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, I can't do this. <laughs> and I had students who were older than me in the class. I was re- I was maybe 21 years old. And I had a woman that was a non-traditional student. And, I mean, she saw me walk into class and went, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I took on the challenge. And, and at the end, the student said it was a really good experience. And I loved it. I just loved it. And it was like, oh, I found my home. Hmm. Yeah, I'm home in the classroom. My students know that now. You know, all this chair work, I can't wait to walk away. And that's why I teach nine credits. You know, I yeah. I told my dean the other day, he said, oh, just cut your teaching back. And I said, you want me to die? Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, what? I said, if I'm not teaching, I will die. Hmm. And he said, no one has ever said that to me before. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said you saw me cringe when you described your, your process at that point, your lifetime at that point. Um, so my older brother named Joe. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was top of his class. Graduated high, high school as a junior in college, and this was back in the 80s when that wasn't all that common. Uh, got a bachelor's degree, got two masters from UMass, got a PhD from Caltech, smartest guy in the room, any room he's in. And so I had the exact same experience, man. I got to freshman year of high school and all my teachers were like, ooh, another canary. And I was just like, I don't want to do homework. I don't want to take notes. I just want to hang out with my friends. Leave me alone. And I was, you know, I had, I had horsepower, but I just didn't have guidance. <laughs> yep. We were the same kid. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, are there any songs that you will always avoid listening to for some reason, either because you don't like the style of the music or you don't want to think about what it reminds you of or whatever? I, I can't think of any specific songs. I, I can say that, you know, some of the really hard, harder hard rock, um, some of the really explicit lyric rap songs are things that I would prefer not to listen to. I, I think a lot about what we consume and, you know, when I think about what we consume, I don't mean food. I mean the messages. I mean the people. The um, And so music is a big part of that. I want – when I consume music, I want it to be music that nourishes me. So I try to stay away from things that I don't think are very nourishing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, this is something that I've always thought and who knows, maybe you planted the seed in my brain 20 years ago. But I've always said, you know, we are what we eat and that means everything that we bring in. And so like I consciously gave up on certain things – 20 years ago yeah. where I just 
don't have it in my brain because my brain's going to make up reality from the parts that it has to work with. And if it doesn't have those parts, then it's not going to use that. That's right. So hmm. well, I hope I planted that seed. Yeah, yeah well, hey, let's, <laughs> let's, let's make that the story. You know, we get to tell the story, right? Um, okay. Any final thoughts? Um, just, a, I guess, a statement of gratitude. This was a really important experience for me. Um, I, I teach a, an essay by Mary Catherine Bateson called Composing a Life Story. And she talks about finding the continuities and the discontinuities. And I think that doing this three-song story is a way to find the continuities and the discontinuities. And uh, it's a really great experience. And, you know, to reflect back on your life um, this way is, is a gift. So I thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much for doing it. Thanks. We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Hey everybody, just a friendly reminder to like us on Facebook and keep your eyes on Instagram because we're heading there next. And take a second to swing past Apple Podcasts and give us a rating because that helps us out a whole bunch. And if you're liking what we're doing, tell a friend. Also, I invite each and every one of you to send us a song story for us to use as a parting tune. Just email it to mysongstory at wgcu.org. For this week's parting tune, I'm heading back to what was probably 1985 or so. I was reminded of this memory while listening back to an old episode of this show, which referred to the Beverly Hills Cop theme song called Axel F. But it wasn't the movie it reminded me of but my brother's epic, cutting-edge nerdness in the 80s with his Commodore 64 computer. Someone had figured out Axel F using just six voices from what was called the computer's SID chip, which, thanks to Wikipedia, I now know was what gave the Commodore its distinctive sound. The chip combined analog and digital circuitry in a way that apparently can't be emulated with 100% fidelity even today. But because the SID chip could only play three voices, this version had to be played by two Commodores at once, which Joe did not have. So of course, he recorded one channel to a portable tape recorder, and then would hit play on the computer and tape deck simultaneously, creating the song in all of its splendor. This is not MIDI for any audio geeks out there. This is Axel F being played by two Commodore 64's sound information device chips. Found this on YouTube because, of course, it's there. And it brings me right back to my brother's room in the mid-80s, marveling at it all and wondering where this new digital world was heading. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Kind of in the, in the middle of like uh, researching the the ultimate origin of music. That's 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 what I've been. So you're like uh, you're as much anthropologist as you are a music fan. Then. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like an armchair uh, ethnomusicologist, as you would call it. So I started with uh, a recording of uh, a, a shamanic ritual from the Sun people in in South Africa. And that was just something you, you know you had on your in, in, on hand in your collection because that's how you roll. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>